Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the Central New York Airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into this week's Fizzcast. Ian Unsworth alongside John Eads here to preview the Orange's upcoming games. Remember to check out our stuff on orangefizz.net, also at Twitter on Orange Fizz. John, after a rough week for Syracuse, two losses to North Carolina and uh, an absolute offensive onslaught from the Pittsburgh Panthers, SU has a chance to rebound a game against Miami this Tuesday and then on Saturday against ranked Virginia Tech. So, John, what were your thoughts on, I guess, last Saturday's game? I think North Carolina has been pretty pretty covered at this point, but last Saturday's game, I mean, wow, what a performance from Pitt in the second half, but just a lack of effort to sum it up from Syracuse on the defensive end. Simply put, Ian, Justin Champagny is good at basketball, and he made Syracuse look like a bunch of chumps. Now, going into that game, 30 minutes beforehand, I'm sure you and I – Fans everywhere were confident that Syracuse would get that revenge. We thought they were the better team in that first matchup. But lo and behold, you tweeted it out for the uh, Fizz Twitter. Champagny is playing unexpected. And boy, did he look good. He just dominated that game from start to finish and showed everything that is wrong with this Syracuse team. And it was no question, Pitt was definitely the better team on that day. Yeah, I got that text from you. It was like 30 minutes exactly before game time. And it was like, oh crap, we might be in trouble here. Champagny, he was he was ready to go. And in the first couple minutes, he started slow, but yeah, he was the difference maker, and uh, he he had the highlights as well, a couple poster dunks, and yeah, those those put Syracuse away. Let let's move forward though. Miami this Tuesday, 7 p.m. tip off on ACC Network. Uh, the FPI, which we don't like here, you guys know that by now, gives Syracuse an 80% chance to win. However, Miami has put up some impressive performances. And most recently, a 78-72 win against number 16 Louisville with only seven scholarship players. This Miami team is down some down bodies and good bodies too, but they they fight super hard. And their Jim Laranaga's team is going to present a challenge. Yeah, you can't put too much stock into these games because this is something we're going to get into. Syracuse plays his own defense. Obviously, we know we've known that for years. So all these other games against these other teams, you know, the UNCs, the NC States, the BCs, the Louisvilles, they all play man to man. You have to attack differently. But like you said, there's a couple things that matter every game. That's heart, grit, and determination. And Miami had all of that in that game against Louisville. Like you said, only seven scholarship players. They haven't had their best player, Chris Likes, all season. No uh, Cam Augusti and uh, no Earl Timberlake in that game either. And they still found ways to get it done with just seven scholarship players. Unbelievable. And uh, they got to be feeling pretty good about themselves coming into this game against the Qs. It's a Miami team that really attacks the paint. It's all led by Isaiah Wong, who we'll talk about in a sec, who's really stepped up and taken over the Chris Likes creator role, but everybody else on the team fills in the gaps. Last year, it was uh, Devin Vasilovich, I remember, just clipping threes from the outside. This year, it's going to be a lot of guys cutting down low, working in the paint, and you know, getting their buckets off of passes, backdoor cuts, layups. It's it's going to be guys like Nicier Brooks, Harlan Beverly, the, the secondary players coming up big, especially because the zone focuses so much on keeping the ball outside of the painted area. 
If Syracuse falls asleep, they might get victimized by some slashers to the basket. Yeah, I'm sure Coach Beheim was not happy about that game last season. Miami had 18 assists last year, which was, I think, a program record at the time. And then they sprinkled in those shots, like you said, from Vasilovic. They shot the ball well enough to win that game 69-65. to And they attacked it inside out. They found the soft spot in the zone on the free throw line, and they were just dishing from there. No looks underneath, outside getting shots. Uh, Miami did very well against the Orange last year, and they did just enough, like I said, to win that game shooting. And I think last year's game is going to be very similar to how it's going to go this year. A lot of the same players playing as well. Well, here's the thing. Jim Laranega said, when we play against the zone, we need to shoot the three better. And they're missing some of their best three-point shooters in Likes and McGusty. However, I mentioned Isaiah Wong, and this dude has been absolutely lights out. He scores at every level. He's a sophomore from Piscataway, New Jersey. That's where Rutgers is. If you guys uh keep that keep that in mind, uh, he's 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 probably familiar with some Big East, you know, Big East ACC basketball. Seventeen and a half points, fifth in the ACC, forty-seven percent from the field, and three-level scorer. As I said, thirty in the last game against Louisville, and gets it done. He gets it done at all levels. He shot some nice mid-rangers against Louisville. He's, he's got really nice dribble moves. Not a quick first step necessarily, but gets really good separation. And he's a bull at the rim. Now, he won't go through you, but he'll finish over you and he'll finish around you. He's, he's pretty lanky for a lead guard, which helps him a lot. As a three-point shooter, not the greatest in the world. However... He got going against Louisville, and he was cashing from anywhere. So if Isaiah Wong gets, if his hand heats up, Syracuse might be in trouble. Exactly. You don't want, he's not a great three-point shooter on paper. But like you said, you said it perfectly. If you let him get going, he will not stop. So you can't let him make that first one and get his confidence up. But Wong absolutely crushed Syracuse last year in the closing 10 minutes. 18 points, actually led the team in scoring. I hadn't even heard of the guy. I was like, wait, this guy played last year and he torched us? Now I know. Very solid player. He's had six games this year with 20-plus points. Like you said, the 30-point game against Louisville. Just a very talented player. Shoots 47% from the field. So, again, not a great three-point shooter, but anywhere inside the arc, he can get it done. And, and, the big thing here. Chris Likes, obviously a very talented player, very good, but Coach Beheim thinks Wong is even better and presents even more of a challenge by how Ian said this, he can attack and get to the basket. And top of the zone, we've talked about it over and over and over again, the main weakness for Syracuse this year on the defensive end. And so I, I just don't, I don't know how Syracuse stops Wong. If they force him to take some mid-rangers, that's the solution. But I'm, I just don't have the confidence that Syracuse can get between Wong and the basket. So let's just assume Wong gets his, right? You got to stop the other guys. Harlan Beverly, uh, sort of backup guard. John, I think you know a bit about this kid, yeah? Yeah, I know. It's just weird. I have all these connections. I went to 7th, 8th, and some of ninth grade with this kid before he transferred to a prep school. I just remember sitting in uh, civics class with him in 8th grade, and we'd play Madden Mobile against each other. Kind of funny. We go, we play one on one. He would dice me up, but yeah, very talented kid. Averages about eight and a half per game, five five point seven assists. And what he's he's kind of like the glue for this team, Ian. He's not really good at one particular thing. He doesn't shoot it well from anywhere or from outside. But he gets those key rebounds. He's a distributor. That's I'll call him a distributor. That's what he is. He's the glue guy, the distributor. 
he just finds his role. He finds a way to help this team win in every single game, and that's really what he does. Yeah, I, I like Beverly a lot as just an effort player. Remember the back cuts I talked about earlier? Beverly will eat off of those back cuts because he's not going to have the ball in his hands a ton, but he's very aware of where he is on the court, and he'll take advantage of lapses in the zone. And in terms of the other guys that aren't playing, Timberlake is a freshman from the D.C. area, one of the most highly regarded uh, recruits from the DMV. He played uh, alongside Hunter Dickinson, who's having a heck of a freshman season at Michigan. Those two were a nice combo at DeMatha High School. If, that's a very famous basketball high school uh, uh, in the D.C. area, if you guys have heard of it. He's averaging 10 points per game, but he's only played in six games, and he's been in and out of the lineup with, I think, ankle issues. It's what it is for Timberlake. Cameron McGusty was 13, scored 13 last year against the Cuse on three of six from three-point range. He's also averaging 10 points per game in five games. Those two guys, we're not sure if they're going to play. I, I, I would assume Timberlake won't. McGusty, if he does, could be a difference maker. Yeah, absolutely. I, we were talking about this beforehand. This game really boils down to will Cam McGusty play? Because like you said, Jim Laranega knows they got to shoot the ball well from outside. Well, McGusty's one of your shooters. And if you don't have him, I don't know, man. Wong is a good player, but you don't have enough pieces to get it done offensively. And like Ian said, 13 points last year. He hit those key shots down the stretch to really help Miami win that ball game. So, Huge news. Keep an eye on Twitter this week, folks. If we find out the news before the game, we're going to let you know. Uh, Cam Augusti, huge question mark for this ballgame. Yeah, find that news at, at OrangeFizz on Twitter. Uh, that's certainly where we'll be keeping it locked with you guys before the game, with starting lineups, all that sort of stuff. Just keep it locked there for all the info. Uh, John, what is your prediction for this game? I This, this is one, another game, honestly, after watching last week, I think it could go either way because Miami might not be that deep. However, if we're being completely honest, neither is Syracuse. So I, I could see this game going either way. I think I'm going to take Syracuse to win by two points. Last year's game was super close, went to OT and, and the Orange lost. Very disappointing. I, I could see I, I see Syracuse bouncing back, especially after two straight losses and a loss of the magnitude it was on Saturday. I see Syracuse marching back. I cannot see Bayheim not lighting a fire under somebody's belly on this orange team. Yeah, Syracuse has to win this game, Ian. This is their best opportunity to get a win this week. We'll get into Virginia Tech in a second. They just match up so well against Miami. Obviously, against North Carolina, not so much. And against Pitt with Justin Champagny, as we saw, not a good matchup. But against this Miami team... I would say Syracuse has the advantage on paper, and they have to win this game. You have to end this losing drought. you got to get this win at home. If they don't win this game, there's some serious problems for Bayheim and company. I got Syracuse by six. Yeah, we talked a lot about the Miami offense. However, on defense, they allow a lot of guys in the paint too, and I don't think they have anyone that can guard Quincy Garrier. That's probably the difference in my opinion. Let's move on. Virginia Tech on Saturday, uh, ranked number 16th in the nation. And uh, playing a lot of close games here, beat Wake Forest, uh, I believe it was last night, I think the score was 64-60, to 60. and uh, Virginia Tech, a team that is super consistent this year, plays extremely hard, have some help for some transfers, and uh, last year played really close against Syracuse too. A 67-63 win in the Carrier Dome, and then SU won 71-69 down in Blacksburg. Remember, that was the game where Buddy Bayheim went absolutely nuclear in the first half. 
but Virginia Tech is going to play Syracuse extremely tough. It's a very good Hokies team, and they're four and one. Uh, I think they've won three. They've won three in a row. ND Duke and Wake Forest. They do a lot of things well. As opposed to Miami, I don't think Syracuse matches up very well with Virginia Tech because they could shoot the ball very well. And as a, as a team, like you said, very consistent, very balanced, number 41 in the country in offensive and defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm, which if you don't know, for every 100 possessions, the, there's an average taken of how many points you would score. And that's what Ken Palm had their average at, number 41 in the country offensively and defensively. So very, very balanced. Usually the teams that are going far in the tournament are in the top 50 in both of those categories. So if that helps aiding you in knowing how good this team is, that's that's the best we could do right there. Yeah, Virginia Tech plays hard, of course, and they play really good defense. It's all man-to-man. It's barely any help. It's always one-on-one, and all of their guys play extremely good individual defense. It could work well because Syracuse plays that isolation style. If one, if one of Syracuse's shooters gets going... It could, it could be a runaway victory like we saw Bayheim. Bayheim got going in the first half last year. That was the difference in on January 18th, leading them to a Syracuse win. However, I'm not sure this year it's been a different story for the Orange backcourt. Uh, let's get into Virginia Tech. Eight, nine-man rotation. A lot of depth here on this Hokie squad. But it starts with Keve Aluma. Wofford transfer. 6'9". He plays like a forward, but he can do pretty much anything. Leads the team with 14.5 points per game and also 7 seven rebounds, 31 offensive boards on the year. That does not bode well for uh, Syracuse, and 31 on the year. So he gets after it on both sides, and as we've seen in the past couple games, Syracuse really struggles on the glass, both sides of the floor. So Aluma's going to be getting in there. He's going to get his. He leads the team in a lot of these statistical categories. He shoots the ball very well also. I'm sure the 50% field goal percentage he has, though, is from pretty nearby to the rim, seeing that he gets a lot of those offensive rebounds. So, uh, but, he, but he's also fifth in the ACC with a block and a half per game. So uh, take that for what you will as well. Here's the thing, John. Aluma has good touch. He can shoot from anywhere. He'll pop out and you know stroke a couple threes. He's going to be the guy positioned in the middle of the zone. Against Pitt, we saw Audis Tony, some smaller guards getting to that free throw line area. Aluma could cause a real problem for the Orange because he is bigger frame-wise than Marek Dolajai, and he could bully Dolajai down low if he wants to, or he can shoot over him if, you know, Dolajai doesn't step up. That That's going to be the real issue for this, for this matchup here on, you know, when Virginia Tech's on offense, Syracuse is on defense, they have to keep the ball out of the middle of the floor, and the guards have to sink down and protect that area. Buddy Bayheim and Joe Girard have not been doing that. The ball gets to the free throw line effortlessly for opposing teams. If Aluma gets the ball in that air in that you know ACC logo, that's that's just spells danger because Virginia Tech not only their best player is six nine and he's a creator as well as a scorer, they have real shooters around the three point arc. Oh yeah, oh yeah. 
couple of them, and we'll get into them in a second. But like Ian said, we want to keep it general so we can keep the focus here on Alume for Aluma for a second. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. If you go inside out like that and force Syracuse to play inside out, and you can hit guys on the three point line just sitting there, I can already see Ian Jalen Cohn sitting in a corner catching a pass, draining a three. It's it's not good. And then additionally, you got to stay out of foul trouble if you're Syracuse because if he's getting in there at the ACC logo, I could see Marek uh, Dolajai, Quincy Garrier going to you know test shots and uh, drawing fouls and as Ian said Virginia Tech very good depth eight to nine man rotation Syracuse obviously as we've seen not so much yeah uh, Bayheim's refusal to play the young guys or at least the young centers I guess is warranted but it's all it's a huge cause for concern especially as SU gets deeper and deeper into conference play and at, at a certain point why why recruit the centers if you're not going to play them yeah I, I, I don't really understand it I just don't think Edwards is ready, as as coaches said, or a Jacques. And then Anselm, as we know, has been had he's had issues with COVID. So I don't know. It's it's kind of we sh and Sidibe should be playing in a, in a perfect world, right? So then you don't really need to thrust these guys into the spotlight. But yeah, we saw Edwards last season. He played some minutes. He's been training for two off seasons. I don't know what the deal is there. I I haven't seen any kind of improvement. And you would have liked to have him in the game improved for this game right here. Yeah, I, I just wonder why have it if you're not going to use it. Let, let's move back to Virginia Tech, though. Enough, enough speculation from us. Jalen Cohn, 12 points per game, has not started a game this year. He's VT's sixth man, but he is a sniper from behind the arc. Last year, led the ACC in three-point percentage. It was close to 50%, uh, which is ridiculous. Last year, in the win over Syracuse, he scored 19, including two massive four-point plays down the stretch. He's barely six feet. He's a diminutive guard, but he comes around screens extremely hard, and that's how he gets open. He he creates his shot by moving off the ball, and it's different against the zone, but if the top of the zone, again, we keep coming back to it, if they get lazy, Cone will spot up from wherever, and he'll clip it from wherever as well. One other name to mention in terms of shooters, Hunter Couture, uh, 8.2 points per game, but 48% from behind the arc, and he hit some big threes against Louisville. They did lose that game, but Couture hit big threes down the stretch against the Cardinals. Those two guys are the main threats behind the arc, and if Syracuse forgets about one of them, you know, he's going to make it, and if there's just, it, it's not a pretty sight, because we thought Horton and Horton and Tony might be dangerous against the Just orange these guys are legit dangerous yeah. they're scary mm -hmm. they're scary yeah it's not a good matchup for syracuse like we've been saying and that's exactly why i think virginia tech's gonna win the game and here i go with my prediction i think virginia tech wins this game by eight maybe more i don't know i just don't see a scenario in which Syracuse wins this game unless Virginia Tech just, you know, if, unless uh, unless Pete Moore or whoever arranges to put a lid on the basket, I just don't think there's any way Syracuse wins this game. Yeah, one other thing. We haven't done a fizz factoid today, John. Uh, Virginia Tech freshman David Gesson played with Woody Newton at Mount Zion Prep School uh, before coming to Virginia Tech. And he, and Gesson actually scored 12 points in uh, the game against Wake Forest. He's he's a nice contributor off the bench. Another rangy big that could give the Orange some trouble down low. Great. Uh, one more factoid. I was going to do it at the top, but we forgot. Syracuse won eight straight games against the Hokies between 2000 and 2016, and they were 3-0 and when uh, Syracuse was a member of the Big East. I'm not sure if Virginia Tech was. Maybe they were. But no, no. That was on there as well. Okay. So there you go. One more thing. 
Sorry, I, I just wanted to say this too. Virginia Tech is ranked number 16 in the country in the AP or whatever, but they're 34th in Ken Palm. And Ian, I got to be honest, I haven't watched a lick of Virginia Tech basketball this year. I think you have. Yes, I have. Is there any kind of, is there any kind of, you know, what's your take on that? Have they passed the eye test or what's the deal with the, they're almost two times worse in the ranking in Ken Palm? Well, I mean, for me, they passed the eye test. They, they played Louisville tough. They beat Duke. They beat Villanova when Nova was number three in the nation. Uh, they Virginia Tech, the, I guess their resume might not be that impressive, but they they play like a tournament team. They play at their pace. They don't go too fast. They don't get sped up, and they they never they never look lost in the half court. They always have an option, whether it's Cone or Couture off a screen, Tyrese Radford, who we didn't even mention getting to the basket. He's like their fourth option, and he is so good at getting to the basket. He'll be a bull on the offensive boards as well, or it's throwing it to a Luma down low. Virginia Tech always has an option, and that's the kind of thing that gets you through a tough conference schedule, and that's the kind of thing that gets you you know, to make a run in the NCAA tournament. I think Virginia Tech wins by double digits because, I don't know, I could see Syracuse coming out in this game and not being able to make a three. It's happened too many times this year. And I got to say, until Gerard and Bayheim show up for two games in a row, I'm, I'm not sold. I'm just not sold. At this point, it's looking like it's looking like Garrier and Griffin are going to have to score 20 apiece for Syracuse to pull out wins in the ACC. Yeah, and like you said at the top, Virginia Tech plays a very good, very stingy man-to-man defense. And Syracuse, aside from Alan Griffin and Bayheim, you know, if he's feeling like it, doesn't really have a dribble-drive kind of guy. So it's going to fall upon Gerard and Bayheim to shoot the ball well off of screens from outside. And I just, we haven't seen the consistency from them, especially, like, we've seen it in one game, and then it's not there the next. So maybe they do it against Miami, but they're not going to do it against Virginia Tech. So I don't see how you can predict Syracuse to win this game based off that. Virginia Tech only allows 64.7 points per game as well, and as a team, they shoot 45% from the field. So two more micro microcosm stats here to throw at you guys. Sorry for a lot of numbers, but we're just trying to say Syracuse will not be Virginia Tech. Yeah, one, maybe an outside, outside thing. Maybe we have a Kadari-Richmond game. Maybe because if the you know the ISO one on one style, he Richmond is bigger than Virginia Tech's guards, so that that's one thing to keep an eye out for. However, just the way teams have been just leaving him and Syracuse's kind of refusal to run the pick and roll for him, I I'm just not I can't see that happening either. So I think Syracuse goes one and one on the week, probably a nail biter against Miami. Hopefully, Griffin hits a big shot down the stretch. But the air probably comes out of this SU team on Saturday. And guys, SU has Virginia Tech on Saturday, Virginia on Monday. It's not going to get any easier. <laughs> no, it is not. So I think 8-5, and five, splitting this week, you're okay with that. Absolutely need that win against Miami, though, if you're Syracuse. Yeah, That'll wrap it up here for this week's FizzCast. Check us out on Twitter at OrangeFizz and at the website, orangefizz.net. For John Eads, I've been Ian Unsworth. Thank you so much for listening. And go orange.